quizzes. The story of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Let's kind of do a quick review. It was written during the period of the judges. Of course, that was from the time Joshua to Saul being anointed in that whole period. And that was a dark period. The nation of Israel was not following God. They were not doing things the way God wanted them to do. And so God brought a famine on the land. And of course, from that point, Elimelech moved his family to Moab, not the place to go. And we talked last week about a bad decision here to leave the house of bread, which was in Bethlehem, go to Moab. And of course, it cost them dearly. Tragedy. Naomi loses her husbands and her sons. It was a bad decision, and ultimately, it didn't work out for them. Now, that's where the narrative picks up today. And so, when we think about Naomi, and we think about her situation and where she is right now, it's a tough spot. But what we're going to learn today is there's some good news coming. There's some good news coming. And if on the back of your bulletin, you'll see the outline there, you can... Uh, fill in the blanks that I've provided for you. And let's look at verses 6 and 7. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So here you have uh, Naomi. She's in the fields. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. Uh, they, they both died, their, their wives are still with Naomi, and she hears in the fields that God has provided food. Do you know what I see here? What I see here is divine grace. This is where I see the divine grace of God. First of all, it was a gift from God amid grief and pain. Naomi had lost pretty much everything with the exception of of two Moabite daughter-in-laws. She has lost everything. And all of a sudden, she's in the fields, and she hears this wonderful news that God has started feeding and visiting his people. So there is a silver lining, if you will, a moment of hope in Naomi's life. And God came to their aid. And this word, uh, pakad, which is the word for visited, has a wide range of meanings in the Hebrew language. In some context, it means to prepare for battle. That is, God visited the armies of Israel and they defeated the Amalekites. Something like that. That this is a sense in which God visited for the sense of battle. But it also means to attend, and it can mean negatively or positively. Here, it means to come to the aid. And of course, God did not forget the nation of Israel. So he came to their aid. So Naomi's getting a little relief from her grief right now, from her pain and her situation. And God had come to the aid of the nation of Israel. His people. Notice she specifically states here, the writer specifically states, the Lord had visited his people. Yodehave, Yahweh, the covenant God, had come back to his people. And he had visited them, not in a way of punishment, but of, in a way of relief and taking care of their needs. And ultimately, 
the house of bread, Bethlehem, was restocked by God. The famine, which was isolated because Moab was not in a famine, and none of the regions north and south or uh, east had had famine, so we can assume that God was bringing judgment on the nation of Israel, but somehow that judgment is now passed, and God has restocked the shelves in Bethlehem. And so Naomi is probably thinking to herself, wow, I can finally go home. I can finally return, and I can finally go back home. I like what uh, Daniel Block says in his commentary. The writer does not specifically speak about divine grace, but the absence of any hint of repentance on the part of Israel as a whole, or Naomi in particular, suggests that the motivation by lifting of the famine and the provision of food lies somewhere else. The reader will recognize here the providential hand of God guiding the natural and historical events for the fulfillment of his purpose and setting the stage for the ultimate emergence of the throne of David. King David's mentioned last here, remember, uh, well, Ruth will be the great-grandmother of King David. But here what you have is you have the grace of God. You have the grace of God. There was no mention of repentance by the nation of Israel. Of course, Elimelech and his two sons can't because, unfortunately, they died in Moab very quickly. What I want us to understand right here at this point is that we are under the divine grace of God. God watches over us. If God cares for the sparrows who neither reap nor sow, if God cares for them and feeds them, how much more will God feed us and care for us and tend for us? And so we got to remember that God watches over us. And here, Naomi, so she's excited now. Naomi's excited. She has to be. Of course, this scene will change very quickly in the next section. But watch what happens. So she set out from that place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah, God's country. They started heading back. And this word return is shimvabet in the Hebrew. And that means to turn back and ultimately to turn back to a blessing. That's what that word means. It's not simply that she got up and decided there's a deeper meaning in this text. It means that when she was heading back, she was heading to a blessing. So many times in our spiritual walk with God, we live in Moab. And all the while, God is telling us, come back to my way. Come back to the way I want you to do things. Come back. And I think we miss a blessing sometimes, and sometimes we just flounder in Moab, and in this case, 10 years or more, flounder in Moab, uh, barely making it, probably not treated well uh, because of their resident alien status. And finally, you hear that there's a blessing from God. Let me give you a wonderful, uh, a wonderful text here in Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. 
so often, and I'm using Moab as a spiritual connection with us today, but we get so steeped in Moab that we forget our spiritual place. And if we will, and I'm saying this because not only Scripture, but I believe this with all of my heart, that if we will realize and recognize where we are in our walk with him and then simply repent and ironically the word repent means that you're walking this way and you turn around and you walk the other way the word repent means stop living over here turn around and go back to God notice what happens times of refreshing will come from the Lord now, it's really hot outside, so I have some extra water here. Not that I think it's going to get hot in here, but I'm getting thirsty, right? When, and spiritually, sometimes we get thirsty, and we just need to go back to God. And look, God is always open and welcoming of anyone who will come back to him and trust in him. Aren't you glad that's the case? Aren't you glad that in times in your life when uh, you're not living the way God wants you to and and to realize and 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 to know that because you are in Christ The blood of Christ has covered your sins in one sense Positionally, we were right with God positionally We can never lose that salvation once we trust in Christ But that doesn't mean that we can wander away from the cross instead of carrying it like we're told in the gospel of Matthew we can wander away and live in our own area, but ultimately all God needs for us to, to restore us and to refresh us and to renew us so that we get out of the dry ground of meteorocracy and turn back to him. God will send us a refreshing moment in our lives. So she set out from the place where she was at and turned to go back to God's house. Now this is a really moving section. If you just read it casually, you kind of miss it. So we have good news. God has visited the people of Israel. He has restocked Bethlehem and Judah with food. So come on back home. Come on back home. Now look at what Naomi says. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. Notice verse 8. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me, with the dead and with me. You know what's shocking about this? Is that when you were a young widow you would return to your father's house not to your mother's house Naomi says I want this is very very touching of course she rebukes the girls a little bit later we'll get into that but this is a very touching moment she says Orpha and Ruth I want you to go back to your mother's house what is she, what is she saying this is what she's saying. I want you, even though my sons are no longer alive, I want both of you girls to go back, and I want you to experience the joys 
of marriage because the mother's house was symbolic of marriage and love and joy and peace. She is blessing her daughters to go back. Go back home. Find young men that will love you and cherish you like my sons did. She's blessing and giving. Now think about this for a second. Think about Naomi. Naomi has lost her two sons. And she turns to her daughter-in-law. Naomi goes back as an older widow She's got problems. Even in God's country, she has problems because she can't make a living. She doesn't know where she's going to live. Her parents are probably gone by this point. So Naomi is now turning around and telling the daughters to go back. Please go back and find love and live a happy life. By the way, isn't that what we want for our kids? We want them to find love. We want them to be happy. We want them to be joyous. We want them to know the full range that life has to offer. There's nothing wrong with that. But here we have a very tender moment where she says to the girls, I release you. I release you to go back. She'll get into an argument here in just a minute, but at this point, it's just a very tender move. And then she says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. And when she says this, she's basically trying to end the relationship. My daughters go back, marry, love, have children, be a grandmother, live your life. And may the Lord deal kindly with you. And ultimately, there has to be some thought of this. I love you. Go live your life. It's pretty powerful. Because Naomi's own situation is not so hopeful. Is not so hopeful. Naomi's prayer wish provides a clamp into her, her utter hopelessness. Powerless to repay their kindness, that is the girls, her only recourse was to turn them over to God's care. What is striking, however, is her wish that Yahweh bless Orpah and Ruth and Moab. She assumed that his authority, that is God's authority and presence, extended to lands outside of Israel. The good news for us today is that if God did not extend his olive branch beyond Israel, none of us in here today would have experienced the grace of God and salvation. Naomi's right. She says, I want God to bless you with everything that God can possibly bless you with because you've been good to me. I want God to be good to you. Wonderful blessing. And then she goes on to say, The Lord grant you that you may find rest. Menua. That you may find rest. Listen to this. Each of you in the house of her husband. So she wants them to get married and then find security in her husband. 
Then she kissed them, and they they lifted up their voices, and they wept. Today, in our culture, marriage is becoming more and more frowned upon. Uh, easier to live together or to do whatever. And here we get back to the biblical foundation that there is security when women have a husband. And that's exactly what Ruth, uh, Naomi is saying here. I want you to go back. I want you to find security because manua means security in the husband. And again, think about what, think about Ruth's situation as she's saying this. She doesn't have a husband to go back to. She doesn't have anybody. She, she's going to go back and be a homeless widow unless somebody can take her in. A, a family member that's along the line can take her in and take care of her. She doesn't know what she's going to find when she gets back. But here we see the unselfish part of Naomi. She says, I want you girls to find security that I don't have. Sounds like the grace of God to me. But, initially, these girls said no. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. So, you can see they're walking on the road to Israel, and she's talking with the two girls saying, you know, look, you guys, you really need to go back. You need to get married. And they just kept walking. And the girl said, no, we are not going to do that. And I think the reason the girls said that was they realized that Naomi had nobody. And there was a close relationship between these three. It it extended far beyond the death of her two sons and her husband. So there was a close relationship. But here's what happens sometimes when situations look so desperate and so bleak. God watches over us, so don't become bitter. The scene shifts. Listen to what Naomi says. Verse 11. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? That sounds pretty logical. Why would you go with me? It's not saying, okay, girls, why would you go with me? And then the girls come back and say, well, because we love you, you stayed with us. That's not the question. The question is actually a rebuke. Don't go with me. Don't go with me. Don't. Don't continue to follow me. And then she says, have I yet sons in my, in the Hebrew is gut. I know our English translation says womb, but gut. So here she's trying to get, as she's walking with Orpah and Ruth, she's trying to get these girls to see the reality of the situation. Why would you continue to walk with me when you have no hope here? I'm not going to be able to bear you children. 
or sons. And even if I did, she didn't say this, but I can just add this in uh, to, to expand it. She may not even have sons. She may have girls. But she says, look, I, I don't have any, any sons in my womb right now, and so why would you want to come back? No, go home. Go home. Notice verse 12 and 13. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should ha have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait for them to grow up? Or would you refrain from marrying? Now this word hope that Naomi uses is tikwa. Tikwa. So if I read it this way to you, even if I should have confidence in regard to a beneficial situation, even if I had that, it would be problematic. Let's look at the logic for a minute. Let's say, for sake of argument, that Naomi was 15. Naomi was 15 when she got married, just by sake of argument. She had both of her sons, let's say, by the age of 20. The boys were married to these two girls when they were 15. And then, 10 years in Moab. Remember, we read that last week, that they lived there for 10 years. Right now, on a conservative side, Naomi is at least 45 years old. At least. Now, let's say for sake of argument that these girls were 15 when they married. You add 10, that's 25. Then you have to add at least 25 years to that before these boys are ready to be married. These girls are going to be 50 years old. Logic. Logic says you can't do that. So if Naomi could have boys, by the time those boys are 20, they're going to be Naomi's age, 45. Yeah. I could see where Naomi is really pushing Orpah and Ruth to go back. I could see that. Because there is no future, Naomi thinks. But then there's, but then there's God. Notice what she says in verse 13. No, my daughters, here's the key. Right here's the key. Watch this. She's blessing these girls to go back. She wants God's blessing upon them. But this is the key to where Naomi is in her walk with God. Listen to this. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. You could say it this way. A literal translation would be, I am too bitter for you. This word bitter is to have a feeling of great suffering 
and despising your current situation. You know, have you ever met people who just are bitter? I remember something that happened to me long time ago in, in the pastorate in my first full-time church. I had a rough first full-time church. And it got me a little bitter. And I remember the former pastor, the guy I followed, who was familiar with the church, called me one day. He was in Virginia at the time. He called me and he said, Pastor, what I am hearing is a lot of bitterness. You're blaming this, you're blaming that, you're blaming this. What I'm hearing is a lot of bitterness. And you know what he said to me that really turned me around in my thinking? He said, Pastor, use your time to get better, not bitter. I'll never forget that. Because you can become so bitter in your walk with God. You don't like the situation. You don't want to be in the situation. And I get that. And I don't think any of us jump up and down when things are going poorly for us. I know that there's some struggle there. I know that there's some hardships and tough times. I get that. Matter of fact, if you claim to be a Christian by virtue of your association with Jesus Christ, you're going to have problems in this world because the world does not like us. But what becomes extremely problematic is when we become bitter. We can't let stuff go. We can't leave it. We, we can't. And then we start blaming God. You see what Naomi's doing here. She's blaming God for her current situation. Rather than saying, Lord, I ask for forgiveness and I just come back to you. And Lord, I'm going to trust my, turn my life over to you and trust you. She didn't do that. She says she lets this seed of bitterness. And this is, this is the same woman that just asked Yahweh to bless her daughters-in-law. But yet in her own life, in her own walk with God, she's blaming God. Now listen, Jesus himself said, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We all get stuff. We all have stuff that come against us. We all have bad situations and hardships and trials and sufferings. Yes. But we can't allow those situations to help us become bitter and entrenched. In almost 30 years of ministry, not marriage, we've been married longer than that, but in 30 years of ministry, have you ever seen bitterness? I have. And I'm just like, when I see it, I go, what happened to you? Here's, here's what we need to do. Is when the bad stuff happens, we just lay it down and we go back to God and we ask God to take it. 
bitterness is not the way to live life. You can't live in a state of bitterness because there's no joy in that. The Apostle Paul said, I don't care what's going on in my life. I'm going to be joyful. I will praise him even in the darkest night. Naomi has simply let a root of bitterness take root in her heart. And now she's blaming Yodehavev, Yahweh, the creator of the universe, for her situation. I've heard people do that too. I blame God. Where was God when this happened? And, and why did this happen? If God's so loving, why does, this, why does this stuff happen? Well, sometimes it's just stuff from life. But then there's sometimes, listen to me, hear me, there are sometimes that situations and circumstances come upon us by our own doing. Right? We make a decision that's not God's decision, and we expect God to remove the consequences of those decisions. But the bottom line is, Naomi is bitter. We got we to gotta guard against that. You know, if you've got something in your life that has caused you to question God or not to love God or, or just to you don't want to be around people in general, um, let me just say this from a practical standpoint. The world is not all Christians, and we're not all like that. There's a lot of us that love people. And, and that we care about people. And I've seen this in my own life, family life, where the root of bitterness has gone on for years. I'm not talking about myself. I'm not talking about my wife or my kids. I'm talking about people in my family, how the root of bitterness has just gripped and they can never let go of the past. Do you know who wants you to live in the past? Satan wants you to live in the past. You go ahead. You blame God. It's not God's fault. And here's the thing. All you have to do is ask God to take it and replace the bitterness in your heart with joy. He will. You may still be in the situation, but it's like the Apostle Paul says, regardless of what's going on, I'm paraphrasing, whatever's going on in my life, I don't really care because I'll find joy in Christ. Daniel Isaac Block said in his commentaries, and his commentary, the New American Commentary, many readers of the biblical narrative tend to idolize the human characters. But in the context, Naomi's comment is troubling. The same person who had earlier employed Yahweh to be gracious with her daughter-in-laws as they had been to her and to provide them with the security in the house of their husband, we talked about that word, turns around and accuses God of making her life bitter. Her comments offer no human causation behind her tragedy. Even though I did something wrong, I'm going to blame God. Even though, uh, you know, 
I did this and I suffered the consequences for it, I'm going to blame God. Let me, let me just remind you of something. I, I want you to understand this. Do you know that how much God loves you? Do you can you comprehend how much God loves you? He sent Jesus Christ to this, to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He took that sinless life, died on the cross for you and for me. Died physically. He was buried. Then he rose again on the third day, reigns at the right hand of the Father. When you are in Christ, his love surrounds you. You are loved by him. Please know that today. No matter where you are, whether you're, whether you're bitter and you're angry about what life has done to you, put that away. I'm begging you as your pastor and as your friend to put that away and to trust in God. Ask him to replace the bitterness with blessing. And I'm not talking about a, a charismatic blessing, but that God would come down and touch your heart and give you a new heart and change you so that you can be joyful even in the midst of suffering and trial. And, and you know what I've learned in, in 30 years of ministry is that life is spent in three realms. You are either going into a trial or you are in a trial or you are coming out of a trial. We praise God for the latter, right? When we come out of it. But two-thirds of it is spent at the front and the middle. And I don't really care what you have going on. I mean, I do care what you have going on in your life. But I don't care the circumstance. The principle is the same. Turn to God and ask him to replace bitterness with a right heart. Let, Paul says, I cast off every weight. I cast off everything that went behind so that I can press towards the mark of Jesus Christ and his high calling. You have to get the baggage off so that you can run with Jesus in this life. Cast it off. If there's something in your heart today that you just need, I've been struggling with this. I just can't seem to shake it and let it go. When we have the offering, I want you, or the, the invitation, I want you to come up here and just lay here at the altar and ask God to take what is ever burdening you. Get it off of you. That's what Satan wants. He wants you to be burdened so that it's a struggle and every day is just, it's, it's miserable. That's where Satan wants you to live. He wants you to live there. Don't live there. I'm telling you that as your pastor. Don't live there. Get rid of it. Let it go. Put the past behind you. Whew. Then there's a choice, and we're going to close with this. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. So you have these three women weeping, now look, look, look what happens. The message has been received. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. The writer of the book of Ruth says nothing about Orpah. Doesn't paint her in a negative light. She finally thought, I, and they cried. Can you imagine that scene? These three women hugging and crying. 
and Orpah reaches up and she kisses affectionately her mother-in-law and turns to go back. And you remember we talked about the name Orpah refers to neck, the back of the neck. So she's walking away from Naomi. The writer doesn't condemn Orpah for that choice. And we never hear from her again. And you know what? As, as a pastor reading this, I hope she had a wonderful life. I hope she found joy and happiness in marriage. And I, I hope that she raised children because that's the soft guy that I am, I guess. I, I wanted, but she's not painted negatively here, but Ruth's reaction's a little different. I'm not leaving. Wow. Is that a picture of God? Jesus Christ will cling closer to you than anything. And you won't be able to pry him off. Let's close.